Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. You know, it's very funny. This song reminds me of my youth and my childhood. But every time I hear it, I have to say to all of you, on behalf of everybody in the 80s, I apologize for this movie. Because it was one of the dumbest movies I've ever seen in my life. Don't send me emails about how great Footloose is. Are you kidding me? Did you remember when he was teaching uh, Christopher Penn how to dance in the barn? Stop it. This was a terrible movie. Great soundtrack, though. Um, back to bigger business. Uh, we need to talk about the uh, the economy. We talked earlier about rising gas prices. There is a difference. There is a shift in behavior in the White House that I think is better. That I think it's, it's better for them and their um, – uh, PR machine and their reputation. The president's um, uh, approval rating has dropped. The president's approval rating is down at about 41%. I think a lot of it has to do with these documents. But what they're doing now is getting in front of things that they didn't even they didn't even um, recognize before as actually being true when it was whether it was inflation or gas prices or whatever. Gas prices are on the increase. They're getting out in front of it. Karine Jean-Pierre blames Republicans and their policies. Well, the fact of the matter is, if the Republicans really were going to do something that was going to raise gas prices, the president can veto it. And they don't have the power. And the Democrats that control the Senate aren't going to do it. So the Republicans are not to blame for rising gas prices. That's what's so interesting. The Republicans this week are going to um, are going to vote to re- increase gas prices. I want to get to other parts of the economy. But before we do that, I want you to hear the energy secretary, Jennifer Granholm. What does she think the reasons are the prices of gasoline are going up? It's obviously based upon international and climate events. So, for example, winter storm Elliott pulled two million barrels off the U.S. market because of refineries that went down. That crimp in supply causes prices to go up. What happens in China? Are they going to be opening up soon? Is there expectations regarding an increase in demand? That is something that happens on a global market. The whole point of this is that this strategic petroleum reserve is a tool that we have, that we can control. We may not be able to control the weather. We may not be able to control what happens at OPEC Plus or in China, but we can control what we have access to. And that's why this tool is so incredibly important. So the tool of being able to tap the strategic oil reserve, whether you agree it's a good idea, a good idea or not, you heard her say climate change and wars and international incidents that we have no control over. But here's some things that we do have control over when it comes to our economy. There are two things that you may disagree with me on on my conclusion, but the two things I'm going to tell you that are happening are true, and you can look it up. Number one is the United States Treasury sets records every month, every quarter, with how much money it collects in taxes from the American people. They have set records Every single month, every single quarter, and I I think it goes back well over four, probably closer to seven or eight years. And so that is a fact. The other factual thing about what's happening is that the Democrats want to raise your taxes. So we still spend at a deficit. And even though they've got record revenue. So here's the headline. Business taxes are rising just as U.S. economy heads into choppy water. Who thinks that's a good idea? Not me. There are people that do. This whole fair share nonsense that they don't already pay their fair share. 
Here is one that I think is incredible. This is out of our neighbors to the west in California. California lawmakers are pushing legislation that would impose a new tax on the state's wealthiest residents, even if they've already moved to another part of the country. Because people are leaving. Last year, more people left the state of New York and headed to Miami. More millionaires, more wealthy people left New York and headed south than ever before. California has seen a mass exodus. Uh, U-Haul printed a study showing that people left California. Their, their destination, the most traveled destination was Texas. But you also saw other very, very low state tax states or no state tax states, income taxes I'm talking about. So you've got Nevada. You've got Arizona, which is very low. You've got Florida, which is very far east from California. So Texas is where the majority of those U-Hauls were going. As early as 2026, the threshold for being taxed would drop. Those with a worldwide net worth exceeding $50 million would be hit with a 1% annual tax on wealth, while billionaires would see a tax of 1.5%. The Assemblyman, a progressive Democrat, introduced a bill that would impose an extra 1.5% tax on those with a world Worldwide net worth of $1 billion starting in 2024. So people are leaving because of failed tax policies. So you are losing your wealthy contributors and taxpayers to other states, and they believe that they have the right to tax you. Uh, the late Rush Limbaugh was famous for having a studio in New York, and he left New York and built a studio in Palm Beach, Florida. And so he maintained an office in New York. New York cleverly imposed a tax that whenever he did his show from New York, he had to pay New York taxes while he was at his New York studio. It's another thing they've done with athletes where when you play in those cities, you pay taxes on your game check on what that city taxes people. They find clever ways to continue to dip into the pockets of the American people. Taking money out of the economy is not good for the economy when it comes to the job creators. I'm not wealthy. I'm not a millionaire. I'm not a I'm certainly not a billionaire. I want to be and I would be I would be happy to tell you that I was or I am when I become one. But I've defended wealthy people because they're the job creators. And I, I do believe they should pay their taxes. Um, you know, Donald Trump saying that, you know, the system's rigged and I know it's rigged because I use it. And going after him in the debates, I know that Hillary Clinton went after him. Others went after him saying that he doesn't pay really almost anything in taxes. And he replied basically saying, if you want me to pay taxes, change the tax code. But you won't change the tax code because your donors and your wealthy friends take advantage of the same loopholes that I do. That is brutal honesty from a very wealthy person. And I would I would venture this. That not only would anybody out there that isn't a millionaire or a billionaire, if you were, I believe you would do the exact same thing. You would hire accountants and you would hire lawyers so that you paid as little as possible when it came time to paying taxes. I believe that the Hollywood elites that are always talking about socialism and they're in favor of all of these other things, I would venture to guess that they have corporations set up where they are the payees that they earn a living and the tax structure is different and they have accountants to make sure that the huge sums of money that they make are protected from taxation. 
They don't use the 1040 EZ form to do their multi-million dollar salaries and pay the government based on that salary. They use accountants. So I'm not saying they do anything illegal. I believe everything they do is legal, but they do it to pay as little in taxes as possible. And then they travel around and they spout off about corporate America and corporate CEOs and how they should be living by a different set of rules. Very interesting. And I don't think it's good for the economy either. In a moment, uh, the Phoenix Police Department proposed uh, changes to their use of force policy. They're looking for public input. We'll talk about crime and punishment in just a moment. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. Now, these were good movies. The Beverly Hills Cop movies were great movies. As opposed to that other one, that Footloose one that was an embarrassment to 80s kids everywhere. Uh, Anyway, thanks for being here. Coming up, unless, of course, he's listening right now and then he's not coming on this show, uh, former Arkansas Governor Asa Hutchinson will join us. Uh, He is in Arizona. We're going to talk to him about why he's here, and we're going to talk about the landscape for 2024. Should be an interesting conversation um, coming up here in just a few moments. The Phoenix Police Department is seeking input um, until January 31st from citizens of Phoenix on the possible changes and refining of their use of force policy. And it, um, it led me to a conversation with myself about this where you're balancing and you must balance um, uh, standards that hold the public um, in making sure that the public is being treated the right way um, but you also have to factor in officer safety um, and I'm not saying that this in any way this policy um, uh, risks officer safety I'm asking the question out loud to myself um, is that being considered here and I'm sure it is and I had a conversation with one of the assistant chiefs on the air last week I'm I, I'm hoping to have uh, Chief Sullivan on to talk about this and other plans that they have because in the end we expect a couple of things from our police department number one we expect them to protect innocent people uh, from bad people we also expect them to behave in a professional manner that um, and I will tell you the reason why I'm so defending of uh, police officers is because the ones I know are fierce defenders of the Constitution. And I would say that to a person, that they got into policing to protect people, not to harm people, that they want to arrest bad people, but they're not looking to violate people's rights. And there is a segment of our society that believes they are, that, that, that where I would say that the vast majority of police officers are good people that want to do the right thing. And 99.9% of the time they do, but there is a bad apple every once in a while, like in any other business. There is another train of thought that says, no, it's the opposite. Most cops are bad. Every once in a while, you find a good one. And those are conflicting feelings within our communities. How do they address that and still maintain their authority? How do they do this and still maintain officer safety? And how do they do this and still maintain public safety? The last thing I want as a citizen is for a police officer to get into a dangerous situation and have to choose in his or her mind the way they're going to handle that situation based on what it might do to their career or being sued. That's not what they should do. They should be trained well enough. They should respond in a way that is uses enough force necessary to defuse the situation. And um, I, I, these California shootings, I, this all came into my mind because the governor of California made a ridiculous statement. 
that the um, that the Second Amendment is a suicide pact. And it was just such an inflammatory statement. And he bragged about the California gun laws and and how they are much safer in California. These two horrible shootings happened in California. That doesn't mean it couldn't happen here. That doesn't mean it couldn't happen in other places where gun laws are lenient. But when you compare where the violence is, when you compare where the danger is, you are a lot in my opinion, you are equally safe or it might be dangerous. It's at least equal in places like Phoenix, Arizona, where our gun laws say that if you legally own a firearm, a handgun, if you are the legal owner of a handgun, you can conceal it without a permit. And you're just as safe in Phoenix, if not safer, than going to Washington, D.C., where the gun laws there are so strict that the federal government has actually at times stepped in and said they're too strict and they are infringing on people's Second Amendment rights. So this is about human beings and the people that have them. Being behind the wheel of a car, it's not the car's fault. It's the person behind the wheel. We've had, unfortunately, in the last couple of years, stories that were really public because they involved professional athletes driving well over 100 miles an hour while they were drinking, killing themselves and other people or killing themselves or other people. Um, You don't ever blame the vehicle. That's what's fascinating to me. You know, look at some look at a McLaren. A friend of mine owns a McLaren. It's an amazing vehicle. I'm fast as lightning. What do you need one for? It's the AR-15s of cars. What do you need it for? Speed limit is what? The highest in Arizona is 75 miles an hour. I don't know of a speed limit higher in Arizona. Why would you need a car that goes 175 miles an hour? You can't drive that fast. You don't need that. It's too much speed. People are going to die. What a ridiculous premise. And so... We look at this and think to ourselves, at least I think to myself, we all want public safety. We want to see mass shootings held to a bare minimum. We want people to feel safe in the streets. But when it comes to public safety for police officers, I do want them to be professional. I do want them held to a higher standard. But I also want them feeling confident that if a violent situation presents itself, that they can handle that situation so they and their partners go home at the end of their shift without being questioned and and being treated as if if they somehow have broken the law themselves. Coming up in a moment, Asa Hutchinson joins us, former governor of Arkansas. He is in Arizona. We're going to talk to him about why he is in Arizona. We'll talk about the 2024 landscape. All that's coming up next. Values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. Hey, thanks so much for being here. We are racing toward 2024. We know that uh, it's a big election year, presidential election year as well. Joining us right now is the former governor of Arkansas, Asa Hutchinson. Governor, welcome to the show. Mike, it is super to be with you today. Let's, uh, Let's talk about why you're in Arizona. Can you fill us in? Uh, sure. Well, I'm gl- glad to be here. I can't say I'm coming here to get away from the cold weather because it's a little chilly. <laughs> but <laughs> uh, it's been great to uh, talk to a number of different groups. Uh, I want to convey a message that we can have a consistent conservative policy as Republicans, but we also need to be problem solvers and looking to uh, solutions that uh, are needed for America. 
And uh, that's been uh, my message here. I'm meeting with a number of different groups, and and it's been great uh, to be in Arizona and to see uh, a lot of the economic success that's uh, taking place here. So is this kind of a preview to a run for president, you know, for the presidency? Well, I've said that's a decision that has to be made uh, down the road. Uh, obviously, we have one candidate in the race, uh, uh, former President Trump. Uh, there's going to be others. Uh, I know it's it's probably developing a little bit slower than what some expect, but it's still early. And so uh, there's time to make that decision. And uh, this year, uh, I've been in South Carolina and Iowa. And now that my eight years as governor is uh, over, uh, it gives me an opportunity to uh, talk about uh, my concerns nationally where we need to go as a country and all of the uh, failed policies of the Biden administration from too much spending to uh, too soft uh, border uh, security issues that uh, he has predominated on. And so uh, that's what I'm doing. And I'm going to continue to do that in the coming months. Now, you were the I'm going to shift gears for just a moment. You were the director of the DEA under uh, George W. Bush, Bush 43, correct? That's correct. The the the. Um Introduction of fentanyl into our society has really changed the game with how dangerous this poison is. What do we do about the fentanyl epidemic from someone who has done that job? What needs to happen to stop the massive flow into this country of that drug? Well, it is critically important that we do that. Uh, we've always had a challenge of, of uh, the cartels in Mexico and how they uh, uh, will utilize uh, human smugglers to bring the drugs into the country, what we've got to do, first of all, is we really need to talk about it from an education standpoint and the danger of fentanyl and how it can kill immediately uh, whenever it's laced with another drug. And so uh, the we've got to educate. Secondly, we've got to make sure that Mexico is a partner with us in going after the cartel. They're the ones that do not care about the value of human life, whether it is human smuggling or drug smuggling. And uh, we're the victims of that. And so we've got to use whatever economic pressure we can to make sure that Mexico is a good partner with us on that. Then thirdly, it is about uh, enhancing the security of the border. We've got to put more resources there. Uh, the southwest border is where the drugs are coming in. And all of these things need to be done because lives are at stake. And it's uh, something that touches so many families and every community. And it doesn't have to be a border community to suffer uh, through the fentanyl that's coming in. Former Arkansas Governor Asa Hutchinson is joining us. Governor, uh, then oh, let's stay on that track for a moment. Um, in the late 1980s, early 1990s, the Medellin cartel, the Cali cartels in Colombia became, especially Pablo Escobar, became so powerful. They rivaled the military of their own country and were basically at war at times with their own government. So much so that H. George H.W. Bush was stepping in. And the, uh, they were trying to get him extradited here. And Colombia was really at a tipping point for a long time. Do you see that happening or a possibility of that happening in Mexico? Because they're our neighbor to the south, and having an unstable Mexico can't be good for the U.S. Well, it's true, and it's always at risk when you do not have uh, the rule of law enforced in a country and when you have the criminal elements controlling so much of society. And 
uh, right now we have a president of Mexico uh, that has made uh, an accommodation with the cartel and uh, has not uh, been vigorous in uh, rooting out corruption and uh, going after the cartel in cooperation with U.S. The other lesson, though, and you've recited it well, is that we did have success in Colombia. Uh, we had planned Colombia. Uh, I was in Congress at that time. Uh, we put resources there. We uh, had good leadership in Colombia, and the power of the uh, Colombian cartel diminished substantially. And we actually, it's a great success story how they converted that and how they've become an economic uh, power uh, in uh, uh, South America. And so you can have success when uh, the resources of the United States in partnership with other governments are focused on that. We need to have a similar type of plan with Mexico. What's happening right now is detrimental, not just the United States, but to our our friends in the South that uh, we've been uh, good partners with uh, economically for uh, decades. So let's go back to when we were talking a few moments ago about what the political landscape might look for look like in 2024. You said that there will be others that are in the race. Who else do you expect from what you're hearing? Can you give us some names of people you expect that will jump in from the Republican side? Oh, I mean, I think they're they're well known. Uh, they're looking at it just like uh, I'm considering it. No decision is made. Vice President Pence, of course, and you got former Secretary of State. Uh, 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 that's looking at it. Uh, uh, Mike Pompeo, you've got Nikki Haley. So there's a number of people that are looking at it. And that's where right now is a good time for uh, me and others to uh, get out there and talk about where our country needs to go. The Republican Party needs to be about ideas. It needs about be about problem solving based on conservative principles. I'm a, uh, I served as United States attorney under Ronald Reagan. I was very young at the time, but I understand the importance of the rule of law, but also uh, pro-growth tax policies, uh, deregulation that spurs our economy on. And these are solutions we need to talk about, uh, as well as our border security. Uh, whenever you look uh, within our party and the support for Ukraine, is actually being debated today. And to me, we have to be supporting Ukraine because uh, that's a sovereign country, and the United States should always stand for those that are being oppressed versus the oppressor. These are important uh, battles and and uh, challenges that we face, and so it's not necessarily who's going to be out there, but let's get a number of voices out there with those kind of messages, problem-solving. I'm going to be one of those. And let's see where it leads. And you may be biased in answering this question, but we have seen historically that former governors have gone on to be president with great success. Do you believe that being a chief executive of a state, whether it's uh, Governor DeSantis or, or, or George W. Bush or Ronald Reagan or anybody else who has been that chief executive of a state, does that give them an upper hand on becoming the chief executive and being president? Well, it does. I mean, being a governor, being an executive and having that experience is critically important. Uh, and, you know, I've been blessed because uh, I understand uh, the challenge of the federal bureaucracy. Uh, I served in Congress and Bush administration, but being governor gives you a new perspective. And the big difference is, you know, you're held accountable. If you don't produce results, if you don't grow the economy, if you don't create jobs and 
and uh, address the concerns of people in your state, you're held accountable and you're out of office. And that's the way it should be. And so governors produce. They know how to lead. And so uh, you take that uh, to the national stage, and that's good executive experience. We'll have a number of governors that are in there, as well as uh, senators and others. Uh, But the people will look at that executive experience. And I think uh, right now, uh, with Biden's messed up policies, uh, with uh, and he wasn't a former governor. Uh, he was a United States senator for, for years, and I think there is a difference, and I think that uh, people will be looking with somebody for somebody with that type of executive experience. All right, Governor, last chance. Do you want to make it official? You want to tell everybody you're running for president on this show right now? I think it would be great for my ratings. You want to go ahead and do that right now? <laughs> Well, let me tell you, let's save that for another occasion oh. right now. No decisions being made. Okay. Let me tell you, it's great to be on your show, Mike. I hope I can come back. Governor, thank you so much for the time, and, and I'm glad. Welcome to Arizona. We're glad you're here. Thank you. Good to be with you. All right. That is Governor Asa Hutchinson. Couldn't get him to say it. Couldn't get him to say it, Julie. I tried. Um, so that is, I thought it was interesting information as someone that's been a chief executive talking about the political landscape. We will be sprinting toward 2024. Uh, Republican governors pushing for school choice. I laid out my case earlier today for school choice. We'll talk more about that coming up here in just a couple of moments. Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM and the KTAR News app. Hey, thanks for being here. The golf tournament that is hailed as the People's Open returns to the TPC of Scottsdale. The WM Phoenix Open tees off February 6th, runs through February 12th. Head to the contest page at KTAR.com right now to win a pair, win some tickets. You get a chance to win tickets. One lucky winner is going to win Greenskeeper Passes. A few minutes left here in this hour. I want to give you my defense once again for for school choice. Um, I like the conversation. I'm having a lot of them on social media about this. In the end, I think parental control is the key. Period. End of story. The parents should control the money. The parents should control all of it because it's their child. Um, The defense I've heard from people in education is you don't tell your doctor how to do surgery. No, I don't. But I choose the doctor and I'm consulted on anything you do to my child. At least we used to do that before this whole movement has been going on, where if you are we make medical decisions with expert consultation. But in the end, I choose what course of of action we take with my child and what we've seen in education and motivated parents in that direction. I think in the end, school choice is going to be a great thing. I really believe that to be true, that when working families can take that amount of money. And I will tell you, there's nothing is perfect and there may need to be tweaks. And I'll tell you this. If we see private education institutions begin to jack their tuition by six or seven thousand dollars a year because of that money is available to parents, I would say to you that I would agree with you that that's an egregious thing for those private institutions to do. That if they're going that to me would be one of the really negatives. And I can say to you that I believe in a program or believe in a course of action and not like everything that's going on. I still in the end in the the very basic element of this believe that a parent has a right 
to choose the course of action for their child. And for families that can't afford it, that's what's so interesting about this is the people that are normally the challenge are, are the champions for the economically challenged families, the poor working class families. Those are the families that are stuck in failing schools. They are stuck. And even if it's not a failing school, if it's a school that doesn't fit their child, they're stuck. They don't have the financial means to do anything else. This gives them that opportunity. So if you are someone that doesn't like this program and you want to point out some of the families of means that are using this money to send their kids to schools that they were already in, you can focus on that because I will say to you that it's still their money. They have a right to do what they want with it. But to the families that can't afford it, what a help this is. The original ESA program, when they were called the Empowerment Scholarship Accounts, directed for special needs students. The brainchild, the idea was parents understand the unique needs of that child, even if they have multiple children, this specific child. And they should be able to take that tax money and give their child the best opportunity in education based on the special needs that you know that your child has. It's brilliant in the way it worked. Everybody loved the program that was in it because it was the parents in control when they understood the unique need of their child. Well, why doesn't the parent understand the unique need of every child? I'm certainly not dumping on district schools. They're not going anywhere. Friday night lights, football games. That's what I grew up with. I think those neighborhood schools, generations that grow up and go to the same schools, I think it's amazing. And I don't think it's going anywhere. But I do think that there needs to be options for people. When parents see that their children are better when they're homeschooled, but they have another child that does well in a district school, they have a child in a micro school or a private school, whatever it is, wouldn't it be the wish of every parent that their child excelled in their own way? You have one child that's artistic. You have another child that is so good at math and so analytical, and they're just different. Same gene pool, different skill sets, different strengths, different weaknesses. Imagine being able to cater education to that child, and that's what this is all about. It isn't about hating on schools. It's not about hating on teachers. It's not about hating on teacher organizations. This is about giving children the best opportunity at the highest quality education, and I think it's going to work. Long term, I think it's going to work. Coming up just after 11 o'clock, we are going to reset an interview with uh, Nathan Wessler from the ACLU and a program of tracking transactions. We'll talk about it next.